Welcome to Liberty Lake Church, and you can join us for worship. Good morning, Liberty Lake. Good morning, Roy. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, first of all, no, as, we, as you know, we had no communion this last month, but we are going to begin that again in uh, July. So the first Sunday in July, we will have communion. Also, uh, begin to pray about the, um, the small groups um, as we head out of this season into the new season. And and look to get together in our homes. That's, of course, where it all began in the homes. Um, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with it. Um, for those of you that have never been in, the, in 
in a small group, um, it's really where the real learning happens because uh, that's when you can you can have conversations that you wouldn't have in in a in a setting such as this. Questions that you may have that you anybody maybe feels uncomfortable about asking in a group setting like this. That's where they get asked there, and that's where our faith really really strengthens. So uh, please be praying about that. And then lastly, of course, Happy Father's Day. Um, and I'm sure that a, a lot of you fathers have heard nice things, that, but you, you're. You all fall short of the. <laughs> of course, there is no T-shirt big enough to say, wait a minute, I wasn't going there. I'm trying to lose weight. Now, there's no T-shirt big enough that says best dad ever. Of course, we know who that's reserved for. Uh, so although we can't get that t-shirt we can sing big with our voices so let's continue to worship and on that note let's celebrate the greatest father
Lord Jesus. Thank you for this wonderful day, for Father's Day. We bless all the fathers today. And just bless Shane and his words. And help us to, to feel your presence today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you guys left room for me down there today. Looking forward to getting back down on the floor. We'll hopefully do that soon. I uh, This was one of uh, a challenging week for me in, in sermon prep, and uh, mostly because as I was studying and preparing, I felt like God was saying, not yet, not yet. And um, I found myself, even last night as I was uh, going to be- bed and had been preparing even uh, Saturday morning, um, he was like, you're close, but not yet. And uh, I'm not even sure if it's yet, yet. So I'm terrified when I get up here to preach and we're going to follow the text, and I think I know where God's leading us and uh, have, have an idea what the text is saying, but we'll see where we land. So um, at any point in your guys' life, have you ever had somebody trying to uh, assassinate your character? Don't, don't raise your hands. Please don't yell out their name, um, not in public. Uh, anybody ever experienced that, though, in your life? Um, I, I remember as a young man, I had two specific instances uh, that, that were very revealing to me, and I was probably pretty naive because I was young and idealistic, and I thought, man, working in church ministry has to be the best possible job in all of life. And um, my very first uh, youth ministry job was, uh, I can't remember the number, it was like, I think it was 300 bucks a month or something like that, I don't remember, it was crazy uh, lucrative, and uh, we had we had 35 kids in a church of about 40 to 50 people, adults, and um, we were meeting off campus at this, doing this, uh, 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 one of the people that were helping us with youth ministry, we were meeting at their house, and the youth group was growing. The problem is we only had about four kids that went to the church. All the rest of them were for the, from the community. Now, I was a little naive. I thought that was success. I thought to myself, man, we're getting all these kids and we got an opportunity for the gospel. Turns out somebody in the church felt like I was spending all my time uh, recklessly uh, uh, spending my time with other people and not taking care of their children. And so I, I found out at a, at, a, at a business meeting that they'd been making phone calls to everybody in the church looking for dirt on me, what, I was, what they felt like I was doing wrong. I'm naive. I'm thinking to myself, ministry is awesome. We're doing all this great stuff. And I remember the day that I found out what was happening and the, the dagger that went through my heart going, how, how is this possible? Now, listen, I share that with you just so that you can all go, oh, thank you so much. See, I'm looking for sympathy even 25 years later. Now, the, the reality is, is that we've all experienced some, something similar to that. If you've been alive on this earth, if you've interacted with more people than just yourself, at some point you've experienced the pain of, of having people with, with evil intent come after you on something. And it is a painful, painful thing. And uh, what is amazing to me is how Jesus handles that. Uh, and we know that that is, is a regular occurrence for him, and that in his ministry, his time on earth, he is constantly attacked, he's constantly pursued, uh, and, and they're always trying to get him to trip up or say something wrong, um, which I'm thankful that that's not the case for me, because I'd be, I say something wrong without even being tempted to do it. Uh, like, it's just easy for me to have the wrong things come out of my mouth, so I'm glad nobody's trying to trip me up. But here we see Jesus in, the, in this context with the Pharisees again attacking him, again coming after his character. So join with me in, uh, it's actually Mark chapter 11, and we're going to pick up in verse 27 and uh, read through the end of the chapter this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. <clears throat> and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, 
and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they had held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The first thing that we see in this, right, is that uh, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus' Jesus authority. They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to actually get the people that are following him, that are believing, that are that are engaged in in his in, in this discipleship process. They're trying to distract them or to turn them away from following Jesus. They want his authority questioned. They want to try and trap him in this. And ultimately, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get him to blaspheme against God to make the claims that we're going to actually see in the text in just a little bit that he's already made very, very clearly. And so here they are trying to trap him again. They're making an attempt to do this. And so the question that they ask is, by what authority? And Jesus, being Jesus, incredibly wise and, 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 and uh, you know, obviously, um, you just don't want to be in a word argument with Jesus. Isn't it funny how often we do that? We read the text and we're like, yeah, but Jesus, if we could just change a few of these words, they'd fit my life better. It drives me nuts how I do that. But here they are, and, and Jesus responds to them and says, let me ask you a question. And honestly, when I first read this, um, I, I spent the first part of the week going, okay, but why John the Baptist? Why did you go there? Uh, there, there, you know, there were other prophecies about who he was and, and what his coming was going to be like and the fulfillment of prophecies. There's other ways that he could have gone after this. But they went after, he went after John the Baptist. And, and so he very intelligently, very um, wisely says, I'll be glad to answer your question. But first you answer this. First answer me the question about John the Baptist and why, uh, what was his baptism about? And interestingly enough, as he asks the questions, I, I love that the Pharisees actually see what he's doing. They're like, oh, man, he got, like, he's got us. This was a very, very intelligent, revealing question. Why? Because it actually reveals the Pharisees' heart in this. Jesus was actually able to expose what their heart motivation was behind challenging his authority, behind challenging him. So what was his question? What Was John, John's baptism from heaven or from man? Right? And so the, the, the Pharisees actually answer the question for us. They logically go through, well, if it's from heaven, he's gonna, Jesus is going to naturally say, well, then why didn't you believe him? which would be a logical question, right? If they responded to this question and said, well, clearly God sent him, he was from, uh, it's from heaven, God ordained him, he was a prophet, then the Pharisees would have the problem of dealing with the fact that they did not believe him, that they rejected his teaching and were constantly engaged in battle with him in the same way that they are with Jesus. But isn't it interesting that their concern about the second answer, the other option is, if it's of man, it was not because it was right or wrong. That wasn't their concern, right? Their concern was that they were fearful of the people. They were afraid of their, of their control, of their population, of their, their financial source. They were afraid of their losing political or, or uh, power in that in environment. They were afraid of the people because the people held that John the Baptist was a prophet. The Pharisees were not actually addressing whether it was a right or wrong issue. They didn't answer the question in the sense of, was this of God or was it not? They were actually arguing with themselves in how they were going to be caught in that moment. And so, in a sense, they kind of lie. And like, we don't know. We're not sure what to do with that. Did they believe that John was from God? No. They didn't. So, naturally, the answer is man. But they couldn't say that because of their own heart issues, their own religious structure that they set up. 
So at this point, I'm, I'm reading through the text, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, okay, but God, why? Why John the Baptist? Why did you ask that question? I mean, I get it that it reveals their heart, and that's incredibly important. It's good to see this. But why would you take John the Baptist? Why would you exp- uh, use this particular aspect, this specific moment, to reveal hearts of the Pharisees? I'm sure there are many other ways that, you, that he could have done that. And so, as I've wrestled through this, I want to wrestle through it with you this morning. I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus uses John the Baptist in this particular aspect of it uh, is primarily because he was the herald of the Messiah, which we'll look at in just a moment. Um, But the, the key thing that he was exposing was their unbelief. Look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read a couple of texts this morning that are going to help tie together the whole story, I believe, to actually put us in the place so that we're wrestling with and understanding what Jesus is exposing in the heart of the Pharisees that he's been exposing the whole time. This wasn't the first time that he actually walked up to him and said, ha, your hearts are wrong. It's not the first time. Jesus is exposing this in his ministry, and he continues to do it, and we'll see it in several different locations this morning in the text. The first one is Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 28. This is the parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Jesus dealing directly with the Pharisees' unbelief, their stubborn, rebellious hearts, exposes the fact that they refused to believe John's gospel, even though he came and there was those, there were those, he associates tax collectors and prostitutes having believed John's gospel and that they're going to be in the kingdom because they actually believed and turned from their ways. And even though the Pharisees saw the truth of John's message, they watched it happen, they, they actually got to see it expressed, they refused to believe even after knowing that information, their hearts stayed hardened and were in rebellion. I believe that a key aspect to the Pharisees' issue was unbelief. Hard heart. I also believe that Jesus speaks specifically towards the effects that Satan has had, that the, that the deceiver had in their lives, and the work that Satan is doing uh, in, in actually drawing people away, keeping their eyes closed and blinding them. And we won't get into the whole aspect of this because we don't have time to go through Genesis, but we're going to just touch on it just a moment today. But first turn to John chapter 8, verses 39. And this is a little bit longer section because the story is so important of what Jesus does and this exposing of the Pharisees' hearts and the issues that are happening right here, I believe, really reveal what Jesus is doing, what the Pharisees are trying to trap him in, uh, the question's already been answered, and they still refuse to accept it and believe. So uh, John chapter 8, starting in verse 39. And Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, and, and he's getting into a pretty heated debate here over who they are, who their father is. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are not doing the works your fathers did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. 
Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answer him, We are not, <clears throat> excuse me, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, Here is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar, like you. But I do, not, I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him because Jesus hid himself. But, excuse me, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I know that was a long passage, but it's incredibly important to get the context of that, right? Here Jesus is engaging the Jews at this time saying, you're not accepting me because you're not of your father Abraham. You're not doing the things of righteousness. You're not following the law. And they kind of freak out, right? Pretty significant accusation. And then Jesus takes a little step farther and goes, and by the way, you're of your father, the devil, Them's fighting words in the religious circle, people. You, can't, you don't say that to, to followers of God. You're of your father, the devil. What is he calling them? Murderers and liars. And what's he point out about who they are and why? It's because they, when they see the word of God, when they hear the word of God, they reject it. Not like us, right? I mean, we don't read the Bible and then reject what it says, do we? The issue is, is that Satan is actively trying to destroy the name of Jesus. He has been trying to destroy the name of Jesus as long as uh, the, the creation has been in existence, right? We even see the, 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 the idea of the deception and trying to, to dissuade or, or move people off the truth all the way back in the Garden of Eden, right? Did the Lord really say this? Is that really his word? Are you sure you're not, you're not missing out on something that God's holding back from you? He, he's demeaning and, and destroying the character of God in an attempt and deceiving mankind. And even to the point where we see in Genesis 3.15 that there's a curse that's coming between the son of the woman that will bruise the, uh, the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. There's the prophecy coming of Jesus' death, even all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And it's, there's so much more to that. We don't, we don't have time to stay there. But it's an incredible picture of the work that Satan's trying to do to deceive and to take the name of Jesus and diminish it and devalue it in the, in the world. And if we just take the, the idea that if we read the Word of God and we reject it in our own lives, that, that to me, that's a deeply convicting reality. How often we read Scripture and we're like, yeah, that's really good for all of you. But do I apply it to me? Isn't it funny that we've been in James and, and, and looking at this idea of controlling our tongue and, and how we treat one another and loving the brothers and, and doing all of that stuff? And how do we define whether or not we're following God if there's conflicts and bitterness and, and envying and all of the, the aspects of the world present in our body of believers, then it's a really good chance that we're not following Christ, that we're not following his word. What, what an amazing reality that we should probably continue to wrestle with. So the reason that Jesus asked this question specifically was because of their unbelief and because of the work that Satan had done, the fact that they were following their father Satan. They were deceived and they were continuing to follow that, willingly following that, even though they had seen the truth. They had the truth exposed to them and revealed they continued to do this. 
And so, again, I asked the question, why John's baptism, though? Because he could have done that with other areas still, right? He could have revealed to them where they were off in the law, where they weren't following the law correctly. He could have revealed that to them by Abraham's faith and how Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. It wasn't the works that he had done. He could have done that through King David's life. We see King David being a murderer and an adulterer, and yet he was restored and called a man after God's own heart. Jesus could have used several other characters, several other examples from the Old Testament to have convicted them. But he used John the Baptist. I think specifically because John the Baptist was present in their lifetime and they were actually rejecting him, but I think also because of who John the Baptist was. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John proclaimed to be the herald of the coming Messiah. He made a pretty significant claim about who he was. And let's, we'll read about that in John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from the Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? They seemed to have an identity issue back there, didn't they? It's like everybody there coming up, Who are you? <laughs> Get them name tags. That probably would have helped. It just kills me. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Clearly the Pharisees knew what was coming. They were anticipating the arrival of Christ, the Messiah. They understood what John was saying. Even when he, when he gave the, the, the uh, quote from Isaiah, which we'll look at very, uh, very quickly here in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. You've you got to see this. This is right out of Isaiah. It's, the, it's part of the promise of the coming Messiah. And you follow the text beyond this, and it goes right into Jesus, the, the, the coming, the suffering servant, and all of the aspects of this, not the suffering servant, I'm sorry, that was earlier, but the promised Messiah who's coming in Isaiah 52 and 53. And Isaiah 43 says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be laid low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John's claiming to be the fulfillment of of the prophecy in Isaiah about the glory of the Lord being revealed to all mankind and the way being straight, and the Pharisees, they hear it, and, and they know what he's saying. But they continue to not believe it. That's a pretty wild claim for John, isn't it? Yes. You guys, if we heard somebody came and say, hey, I fulfilled Scripture, you, we would all be like, Eh. right? If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, God spoke to me, what do you, what's the first response that you do? Uh, typically, uh, it depending on what church you go to, I guess, I guess there are churches that actually um, would be less uh, uh, questionable about that. I grew up in a very conservative church where when somebody came and said, God spoke to me, everybody was like, <laughs> serious, that's what I grew up with. Why? Well, because most people probably don't hear an audible voice of the Lord. It's entirely possible. I, I, I personally haven't had God show up and speak to me in an audible voice that I, that I can de- de- definitely say this was the Lord. I've been in the Word of God. I've been directed by Him. I feel like He's given me very clear directives at times. In fact, leaving Enos Valley was one of the most clear times in my life that I've ever felt like God gave, gave me a direct 
uh, response to a prayer when I asked him, why now? We, they, we were moving out of Enius Valley, and the church was going great, and we were building. I'm like, why now? Like, we're through all the junk. We, we got through all the hard stuff. Now, this is the good stuff. We're getting ready to build a building, and, and we did all the hard work, and relationships were being mended. It's like, why now? And, and I remember I was reading... I don't remember what passage it may have been in Philippians, and I was reading about humility, and, and what came to my mind was you asked that you wouldn't get any credit for this. What? And that's what I felt like he said, because you asked that, that I would make sure you didn't get any credit. And I, again, not an audible voice, but I, I'm confident it was God speaking to me directly. But when, when we hear those kind of things, we tend to be a little cautious of that, right? And I, I think it's wise to be cautious to that. We should, we should align it with the Word of God and say, is this true? What Jesus was saying in John chapter 8 is that you guys saw this. You heard what John's testimony, you've seen the evidence of it being revealed in John, and you still refuse to accept it. The Pharisees saw him do this. They saw the response of the people, and they saw the, 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 the fulfillment of the prophecy that was coming, and they still rejected it, and, and they're going to do the same with Jesus. What's amazing about John the Baptist's story is not just that he fulfills Isaiah, but God shows up in a way that you can't deny, right? Because God actually comes in and confirms his son through John the Baptist's ministry. And we see that actually in Mark. We, we did it in the very beginning of our time in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Turn in your Bibles with me if you have them. I, I want to encourage you guys, I just still bring your Bibles. I know we put the text up here, but it's, it's really good to know what you, yours actually says, because I could change the words up there. It would be really good for you guys to have your own copy and know that it's actually the Word of God being read. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, one of the arguments that... I've heard to this as being an actual confirmation is that, well, you know, that's just Jesus is the only one that heard God. Uh, you know, they were, just, they were making this up, and, and that's all, you know, wow, um, interesting. But John the Baptist himself says, I am an eyewitness to this. I testify that what, was, what is written here, I have seen with my own eyes. And he does that in John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who, uh, who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, and I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. Do you know why, they had to, why Jesus used John the Baptist's testimony? was because people saw this event. People believed John was a prophet because they watched some of these supernatural things happen and they held this to be a truism. And so when Jesus brings this up, he puts the Pharisees in a real serious spot because they have the evidence of John the Baptist's testimony that they have rejected. And John's own written testimony, his own, what he's telling people is, I saw the Spirit of God as I was told it was happened, it happened. And I'm telling you that this is the Son of God, this is the coming Messiah, this is the Christ. It was his testimony that revealed the character and nature of Jesus. But they would not believe. They did not believe. Isn't it cool that tax collectors and prostitutes did? That the sinners, those who recognize their own wretchedness, their own challenges, their own struggles, 
for whatever reason, maybe it's because they, they just didn't have all the answers in their head, but they saw Jesus and they went, that's what I need. And they responded and believed, and Jesus says they're going to be in the kingdom. I wonder if the, the American church I wonder if if we would be guilty of not believing. If as we read the word of God, as we engage in the word of God, we we read things uh, everything from the power of God to the forgiveness of God to the holiness of God to the righteousness I wonder if we would be guilty of not believing. I look at my own life, I look at the realities of my heart and how I've responded, how I respond to issues of anger, issues of, of pride, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, all of those things. And I think I have to, if, if I'm honest, if I really address my own heart, I have to say, God, am I, am I more like the Pharisees or am I more like the tax collectors and the prostitute? Do I have my religion so wired in? Do I have my religious beliefs so wired in that I can't actually respond to you? Is my religion so comfortable and so mapped out around my financial and physical wealth and and, and comfort and desires that I'm not even interested in what you might have to say or do? Do my possessions possess me? Or is my relationship with you what actually owns every aspect of my life? You guys, I have to be honest. I, I, that's not, I, I don't believe God owns every aspect of my life. I don't. I was talking about that this morning with John and Don. If it really did, this would not just be a checklist obligation. It would not just be a good idea. It wouldn't be something that I, that I uh, throw in at the end of my day or that I make time for uh, in the midst of a busy schedule. It wouldn't be that. If this was really in my heart, the Word of God, if I really uh, was committed to Him, that this would be the highest priority for my day. The highest priority would be hearing from the Lord. Don't raise your hands. How many of you, this is the highest priority of your day? Don't raise your hands at home. You don't want to let your family know about this. They already know, by the way. How many, seriously, you guys, is this the priority, or, or do we have other things that rule our lives? The Pharisees were ruled by things that were not of God. And they were the people that were doing it. Like, they, they were the ones responsible for the religious practices of the nation. We're responsible for the gospel in this country, in the world. We're responsible to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to be the light to the, to the nation, to be family and friends and care for those who are around us. We're the ones carrying that responsibility today. And what's our priority? What's most important to us? I'm being ornery. Face masks? I hate this. I love it, and I hate it all at the same time. Because I know this. I know better than this. I know better than to make this just a practical thing that I do. I know that religion is worthless if it's not lived in relationship. I know that. I know if I don't love you guys the way that Christ loved me, my religion is worthless. I know that if I don't love my neighbors, (sighs) one of my neighbors, he waters his metal shed very early in the morning. 
right across the metal shed, right on the side of our house. He has the audacity to complain about my cars that start up to go to work at 8 in the morning. I'm going to go out there with a hammer and beat on that freaking thing. <laughs> That's my heart. <laughs> That's my heart. It, it doesn't look anything like Jesus. Why did Jesus pull John the Baptist? It was because it was relevant. It was supernatural. It was spectacular. It was the evidence of the authority of God. It was the evidence of the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah who's fulfilling prophecy that the Pharisees were watching very carefully for. Are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you Isaiah? Then why are you doing these things? We know he will. Why are you doing them? And John says he's right around the corner. Be ready. And when they saw him, they rejected him. What is God calling us to be this year, this week, this day? It's his church. We know what it looks like. So go do it. One of my, fa one of my favorite clips, if you ever get a chance, look up The Honest Preacher on YouTube. This, they do this great thing about this preacher who comes in and, and he starts talking about his frustration with his church and how you know, they're preaching every week and somebody comes into his office every week and goes, oops, I messed up. And he, he gets to the end of it and he's shaking his arms and he's all this frustration says something about you're making me look bad in front of God, which I know the theology in that is a little weak, but it's hilarious. And at one point he opens the word of he opens up the Bible and he goes, Look, it's the words of Jesus. Stop it. <laughs> and I love that. Because I, I believe that what in Jesus' heart, he was desperate for the Pharisees to respond. It was not his heart that they went to a Christless or godless eternity. That was not his heart. His passion was, can't you see it? We've got all the truth is right in front of you. Can't you see this? Why can't you see it? Brothers and sisters, we have even more evidence. We have an even more truth. Because not only do we have the Torah and the fulfillment of those prophecies, but we see in the testimony of the disciples and hundreds of people after Christ that he rose again from the grave. We have even more evidence and more truth to respond to. And yet, I have to ask the question, am I responding more like the Pharisees trying to protect the comfort of my pathetic life? Or am I responding like the tax collectors and prostitutes who had nothing to live for? Way, way, way too often. My possessions and my life own me. Not my relationship with the Lord. Boy, isn't this going to be an exciting week? What's God, what is He doing? I, I hope you're asking the same question. What is He doing? Because COVID didn't catch Him off guard. You know, Jay Inslee isn't smarter than Jesus. He did, they did not sit back in whatever group that they did. They didn't get there. Trump's not smarter than Jesus. Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter whatever political party you sit on. That's not the important part. They're not outwitting God. Uh, Satan's not winning. I, I know there's times where we as a church feel like he's winning, uh, we look around, somebody was saying, uh, we were talking the other day about how terrible our culture is and how evil everything is, and yes, you're right. You are right. But look at what James was saying to the church. Look at what James was saying. He wasn't even two, two, two decades after Jesus, and he's writing this stuff going, hey, you all are murderers and adulterers. You look just like the wicked. Well, yeah, that's just like us now. Yeah, but we're not doing the stuff that was in 1 Corinthians around communion, if you're not sure what that is, go read 1 Corinthians. It was a mess. Just like us. Just like us. The gospel is relevant today as it was in Jesus' time. We are the church. And we are called to respond. So I guess the pertinent question for us today is, Jesus, who are you? Who do I believe that you are?
as if he's of man, then he was just a good man. Had some good moral concepts that we should follow. But if he was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, who fulfilled in, in, in the, the, the prophecies uh, at an impossible rate, who then died unjustly for our sins and rose again to bring us into the relationship with God that only he could do on his own. If he's truly from heaven, then why are we not believing him? Why do we not live like that? Father, that's the burden on my heart. Even this morning, is that why does my life not reflect more clearly that I believe you are the Son of God, the coming Messiah, the Christ, who before Abraham is? Father, I pray that uh, you would help us in our unbelief, you would transform our hearts, you would open our eyes, our ears. Help us to hear you, to, to know you, to respond to you. I pray that through your spirit, Lord, you would convict us in our disobedience. You would convict us in our unbelief. And God, you would direct us as a church to glorify you and you alone. I pray, Lord, that you would take all the glory, which may mean that you have to humble us God, I know I'm proud. And I know I'm comfortable. A little less this morning, honestly. But I do know I'm comfortable. And that's a very dangerous mix for me. Father, I pray that you would overwhelm our hearts with the truth of who you are and who your son is and what it means to be the church in this day, in this time, in this hour. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, join us. Let's continue to worship.
Praise the Lord. Happy Father's Day and have a great week, everybody.